Doesn't our praise band do a wonderful job leading us in worship? Great. I'm so thankful for them, aren't you? They're such a talented and gifted bunch, and they, they just lead us in worship just in a wonderful way each and every week. But let me throw this scenario out at you, okay, just to change things up a bit. What if they decided to change things up, our worship team? What if they decided to change roles up here on stage? What if, what if Clay, instead of playing drums, played lead guitar and Michael played drums? What if Brent played bass and Johnny or David sang lead? <laughs> Sorry, Johnny, I didn't, I didn't say that. I've never heard Johnny sing. I'm not picking at him. What, what if Patty played rhythm guitar and Tim played keyboard and sang back up? <laughs> what, what if we had them all playing one instrument together? Like them all on the keyboard together, or all on the drums, or, or all singing all at once. Though this is a, a talented bunch of musicians, my guess is that that setup would be a mess. Am I right, Brent? Where are you? Am I right? Clay, am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Johnny's going to have a solo coming up. Yeah, the key to a, a good praise team that, that performs well together isn't just to have a gifted bunch of musicians on stage and especially not to have them all doing the same thing, but to have each musician in his or her proper place using the instrument that he or she has been gifted to use. That's why our praise team does such a wonderful job. That's why our worship Sunday after Sunday is so enjoyable. Well, guess what? That's the way, believers, God calls for us to function in His church. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 4. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 16 this morning. We are continuing our sermon series through Ephesians entitled Walking Worthy, and in our passage for today, Paul is going to talk about the fact that, that each of us, as believers, have been gifted by God for the good of the church. And in this passage, he is going to call for the believers of his day and us, his greater Christian audience, to walk worthy for God by getting equipped to use our gifts to build up Christ's church. And the way he does this is by explaining to us in this passage who has gifted us and how we've been gifted as believers and how our gifts serve to build up the church. Notice first, Paul mentions who has gifted us and who has gifted us. Well, according to this passage, Christ has. Christ has gifted believers. Look at verse 7. Paul says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Notice a few things here. 
right off the bat that Paul tells us about spiritual gifts. First, he tells us that all believers have been gifted spiritually for the purpose of ministry. Every believer has been gifted for ministry. Remember back in chapter 3, Paul says that he has been given a gift. He says in verse 7 of chapter 3, he says this, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. So Paul says, God has gifted me by his grace. He has made me his minister. And then in chapter 4, Paul tells us that Not only has he been gifted, but all believers have been gifted. Notice what he says. He says, but grace was given to each one of us. Not just pastoral staff. Not just elders and deacons. Not just teachers and small group leaders. All believers have been gifted for the purpose of ministry. Look at what John MacArthur said about this when commenting on this passage. Here's the quote up here on the screen. He says, There is no such thing as a believer who is not gifted for ministry in the body of Christ. No such thing, MacArthur says. And according to this passage here, we have been gifted by God. Notice it says it's by God. God has done this. It's by His grace that we've been gifted. So there's nothing special about us, is there, on our own. Though we have been gifted. Nothing for us to brag about. These gifts have been given to us by God. And notice also, Paul makes the point in verse 7, that not only have we all been gifted, we've all been uniquely gifted. In the previous passage we looked at last week, remember we talked about the fact that we have been brought together as believers in Christ and we are one in Him. But the emphasis in our passage today is, though that's the case, though we've all been brought together in Christ and are to be unified in Him, there is also diversity within the body of Christ. There is to be unity, but there is also to be diversity. Notice Paul affirms both here in this passage. In Ephesians 4.4, he says there is one body. But in verse 7, he says, but there is grace given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What Paul means here, that each of us, as believers have been uniquely gifted by God to serve God in a unique and meaningful way in his church. And at the end of verse 7, Paul says these gifts have been measured out. They have been dispensed by Christ to each one of us. So though we are unified believers, we are also diverse. Different believers have different gifts to meet different needs in the church. That's what Paul's saying. So though every believer has a gift, no believer has all the gifts, 
And every believer has been uniquely gifted for the good of the church. So we need one another, don't we? We need one another in this church to be the church that God has called us to be and to accomplish the work that he's called us to do. Look at this quote by J.C. Ryle. He said this, The church of Christ needs servants of all kinds and instruments of every sort, penknives as well as swords, axes as well as hammers, chisels as well as saws, Martha's as well as Mary's, Peter's as well as John's. Listen to what Paul had to say about it in Romans. Chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, we're one, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Once again, Paul's making the point here. Though we as believers are one body, the church, we're uniquely gifted. We have each been given, by God's grace, gifts to use for the good of his church. Notice the diversity of the gifts here in this passage. Paul says, God gifts some to lead, others to serve. He has also gifts some to show mercy and to exhort and to minister and to prophesy and to preach. So there is diversity, isn't there, in the body of Christ. Though there is unity, there is Diversity. Notice also, there's a lot here in this one verse, verse 7. Notice also we learn not only are all believers gifted in a variety of ways to meet a variety of needs within the church, but notice that these gifts have been given to us by Christ. Paul says that it's Christ who gives us these gifts. Christ does the gifting here. Isn't that interesting? I mean, oftentimes when we talk about the spiritual gifts, we talk about them as if they've been given by the Holy Spirit. We, we say they've been given by the Holy Spirit, which is right, right? There are areas in Scripture, there are parts of Scripture that, that rightly teach this. Scripture teaches this. But in other parts of the New Testament, we learn also that the Father gives gifts to the church and so does the Son for the good of the church and for the furtherance of God's kingdom, which should show us, folks, how committed God is to gifting his people. Giving gifts to the church is one of the major activities of the Godhead. It's the activity of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And believers, there is clear and simple application to be made here by us, and it's this. If God is this committed to giving us gifts, and he is, if he has given us gifts that he expects us to use to build up his church and to further his kingdom, then we should value the gifts he's given us, and we should use them for his purposes. How often have you heard it said that 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work in churches today? You ever heard that, the 80-20 rule? 
Now, though those numbers aren't exactly accurate, there's a lot of truth to that statement, isn't there? Many of us, we live by this 80-20 rule. We really do. We've come to accept it. But listen, get this. I want you to get this. If, if each of us are uniquely gifted in ways others are not to meet specific needs in the church, then according to this 80-20 rule, there are many needs that are going unmet in our churches today. Am I right? Believers, you're needed. The church needs you and your unique giftings. Some of the most unhealthy churches I've seen is where you have the staff doing all the work. You know why? Because staff can only do so much. And also because on staff, the staff only possess a certain amount of the gifts. I have certain gifts that you don't have, but you have gifts that I don't have. And though the church needs me to use my gifts for ministry, the church also needs you to use your gifts. The church does not need me trying to use your gifts because I don't have those gifts. You do. You with me? Pretty simple. But it's key. Believers, Christ has uniquely gifted each and every one of you. And he's placed you in this church and he expects you to use your unique gifts so that this church can be complete and healthy and built up. I believe he has you here, believers, not by accident, but because there is something that you possess, a gift that you have that's needed here, that God has provided for you. That's why he has you here. That's Paul's first point. Christ has gifted believers. But notice number two, he's also gone to great lengths to do so. Christ has gifted believers at great cost. At great cost. Look at verse 8. Paul says, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he has also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, what on earth is Paul talking about here? I'll be honest, at first glance, I was unsure. It was, it was tough for me to figure out. First, he's talking about spiritual gifts, and then he starts talking about the fact that Christ is ascended, and the fact that he's ascended means he's also descended. I mean, what is Paul talking about here? Well, notice the phrase, therefore it says. Now, whenever you see wording like that, you know the writer's about to reference something old, something from the past, something from the Old Testament, and that's what Paul does here. In fact, he quotes Psalm 68. Psalm 68 is a hymn, a victory hymn from David, where he is celebrating God's victory over his enemies. In those days, at this time, at the time in which this psalm was written, after a king won a victory over his enemies, he would bring home some of the spoils of war. And he would share them with his people and he would then be paraded around the city and then he would be be ascended 
to the, the highest hill in the land and he would be celebrated by his people. You got me? So Paul uses that imagery here when talking about what Christ has done for us. He explains here that Christ has been triumphant in battle. He explains here that he has been victorious over his enemies. And how has he? Look at verses 9 and 10 again. Paul explains that Christ has descended down to us to be victorious for us. Now, when Paul talks about Christ descending down to us, some commentators say Paul is talking about Christ's incarnation because he descended way down to us. He came from heaven all the way down to us, to the earth. So some believe this is a reference to Christ coming down, taking on flesh, dwelling among us, and living for us. And others say that this is a reference to his death, because Paul says here, he descended into the lower regions, the earth. So some believe this is a reference to his burial after death. But whichever view you hold to doesn't change the imagery here. Get this, Christ has done both, has he not? He has descended down to us and he has become one of us and he has given his life for us. And through that work, through his life and death and burial and resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father... Because of that, Paul says, Christ is now able to give us gifts that he has attained from his victory at the cross. Just like a king, after being victorious in battle, would return with the spoils from war to give to his people for their benefit. So Christ, through his victory at Calvary, has handed over the spoils of victory for us. He's given them to us. And one of the the first gifts he's given to us is, of course, the gift of salvation through his Holy Spirit. Remember when we were in John, in John 16, remember what Jesus said? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says that the Holy Spirit cannot come and apply his saving work to those who trust in him until he goes and completes the work that the Father has sent him to do. So the saving work that the Spirit does in our heart and life, it's contingent upon the completed work of Christ. Christ had to go to the cross. He had to accomplish our salvation, return to the Father, and the Spirit comes and applies that saving work to us when we trust in him for salvation. And this gift of salvation through the Holy Spirit is the main spoil, the most important reward that Christ has given to us because of his victory at Calvary. But though that's the case, though salvation is the most important reward, there are other gifts that Christ gives us as well. And Paul makes mention of those. So far, we've been just talking generally about how Christ has gifted believers and how he's gifted believers at great cost. But notice here what he has given them. In addition to accomplishing salvation for us and giving us his Holy Spirit who applies this work to us by changing us from the inside out, Paul tells his Christian audience in verse 11 that, here's the third point, Christ has also given believers foundational gifts. 
And these foundational gifts are what help those who are trusting in Christ alone for salvation grow in godliness. Look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. In verse 11, Paul gives a list of foundational gifts that Christ has given to the church and to us as believers. The first gift he mentions are the apostles. An apostle is someone who has seen and has been directly commissioned by the risen Christ. The second gift is prophecy. The prophets were those who spoke revelation from God before the written revelation of God was completed. Now, these first two gifts, the gifts of the apostles and the prophets, though they were around in Paul's day during the time when he was writing this letter, they do not exist today as I just described them, okay? They were present in the first century when churches were first being started and before God's written revelation was completed, but they do not exist today. Now, we do have their message from Scripture, don't we? And these messages that they've given us, they're to be taught in our churches. In fact, I'm doing that right now, aren't I? I'm teaching you a message from one of the apostles, from the apostle Paul. So these these two gifts, though foundational, though they have ceased, they still benefit us today. And, And they serve to grow us in godliness when we teach and preach from them. We learn in the book of Acts, the early believers, one of the activities that they did was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And that's what we're doing. Now, the third gift Paul mentions are the evangelists. They're still here today. They were present then and present today. Now, who are the evangelists? I know you probably have some images popping in your head right now, some not so good, right? But evangelists here, who they were, were, they were people who went to places where there were no believers and no churches, and they shared the gospel in hopes that people would come to Christ and that churches would be started. Paul, by this definition, was an evangelist. He was also a prophet and apostle and a, and a, and a minister as well, right? But he was, a, he was an evangelist. And the fourth gift is that of preaching and teaching. Now, in the English, our English translations, they separate these two things as two separate gifts, but in the original language, the two were meant to be understood together. So this is understood as pastor-teacher or teaching pastor. So these are the gifts that Christ has given to believers. These are the gifts Christ has given to the church. And again, why did Christ give us these types of gifts? Why did he give the church foundational gifts of apostles and prophets and why did he give us believers the gift of uh, the gifts of evangelists and pastor teachers why did christ give the church these gifts is it so that believers could just come to church week in and week out and just watch these people do the work of ministry is that why was that the mentality of those in the first century Did they just watch the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastor teachers do the work of ministry? Why did Christ give us these gifts? 
Paul tells us. Look at point number four. He tells us that Christ has given believers foundational gifts to equip them. To grow them in godliness and equip them for the work of ministry. Look at verse 11 and 12 again. And he he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Wow, it's pretty clear what he's saying, isn't it? I know I've said this in the past, but it needs to be said here again. A lot of the time when people think of ministry, they think of it in this way. They think of it like a spectator going to a sporting event. When you go to a sporting event, like a football game, you participate to an extent in that you wear the team's colors and you cheer your team to victory. But but let's be honest, though we often give ourselves high fives, When our team scores and wins, we're not playing the game, are we? And we ultimately play no part in the outcome of that game. A lot of people think of ministry in this way. They think that those who are to do the work of ministry are the pastor, teachers, and the evangelists. It's it's their role to do the work of ministry, and we just kind of come and show our support. We don't really have to be here. But, but we're going to come, show our support. We'll come, we'll sing the songs, clap our hands, nod our heads in approval, say amen on occasion, but we're really not the ones who are supposed to be doing the work of ministry. Many think in that way. Is that what Paul teaches in this passage? Is Ephesians 4 teaching us, did Christ give us these, these gifts of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers so so that you could just sit back and watch them do the work of ministry? What does Paul say? Look at it again. Verse 11. Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So here is what Paul is saying. He's saying Christ has accomplished this work at Calvary so that he could give us these gifts, the gift of salvation and the gifts of the teachings of the apostles and the prophets and the teaching pastors and evangelists for the purpose of equipping God's people, believers, to do the work of ministry. So this is my role. According to Paul, In this church, you may think you know what my role is. I know what my role is scripturally. This is my role here. The reason why Christ has me in this position, according to scripture, is to equip you believers to use your gifts for the purpose of ministry. Is that not what Paul says here in verse 12? That's exactly what he says. So when we come together, when we gather together as a church, the reason we're to meet together is to get ready, to get prepared, to be ministers out there in the world. You may not realize that yet, but that's the reason you're to be here this morning. It's not just to feel good, though we often do when we get together with God's people and and hear from God's word. It's not just to get a boost for the week, though that often happens as well. 
But Christ has given you believers these gifts to get you ready, to equip you for ministry. So really, the better image of the church is not a spectator going to a game, but it's what? A player going to practice. That's the better image. The church is really, this time here, is really more like, more like practice. It's a place where you come and you, you train and get ready. It's a place where you get equipped so that you can use your gifts, the gift that Christ has given you to do the work of ministry. Why? Why all this fuss? Why, why does Christ call us to ministry? Why does he gift us for ministry? Why does he equip us to do ministry? What's the purpose in it? Well, this leads us to our final point. We have learned this morning that Christ has gifted believers at great cost and he has given the church foundational gifts for the purpose of ministry and the reason why is so that the church will be built up. Christ has given believers foundational gifts to equip them to build up the church. Look at verse 12 again. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Believers, the ministry we're to be getting equipped to do is building up the body of Christ, growing people up in Christ, maturing people in Christ until we all become complete in Him. That's the business we're to be all about. That's the mission of this church, to make disciples, to grow people in godliness until we, we all attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's our ministry. That's my ministry. That should be your ministry. Paul said it like this in 2 Timothy 2.2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's what you're to be doing. Coming here to get equipped to then go out and teach others who will then, those people will go out and teach others who, those people will then go out and teach others until disciples are made and Christ's church is built up. This is so key. We, we, have, a, we have a huge misunderstanding today about our giftings and how we are to be using them in the church. We believe we've been gifted by God, many of us as believers do. And, and many of us even rightly understand that the church is the place where we get equipped to use that gift. But a lot of times we think of our gifts ultimately for us, you know? It's for our benefit. It's to put the spotlight on me. Check me out. Look at how much God has gifted me. Paul says the purpose of our gifts are not to benefit us, but they're to benefit others. To build up Christ's church believers this is why christ has given us these gifts why you've been gifted uniquely and individually this is his purpose for you and for gifting you and for placing you here at this church he has gifted you and he wants this to be the place where you get equipped to use your gifts for the purpose of ministry so that this church 
his church will be built up. And folks, let me tell you this. If you make a commitment to do just that, if you will commit to come here and, and you come here for the purpose of getting equipped to use your gifts that Christ has given you to build up his church, notice who benefits. Notice the results here. Number one, you benefit. Look at verse 14. Paul says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Listen, when you commit to get equipped here at this church to use your gifts for the sake of others and for the sake of Christ's church and for the sake of God's kingdom, you, along with your brothers and sisters in Christ that you're pouring into, y'all become strong in the faith. And then you're ready to face the attacks of the enemy, whatever they may be. That's why we emphasize after you are escorted to Christ for you to get established in truth. That's why we, why we say that in our mission statement. That's so very important. It's so very important for you after coming to Christ to get established in truth so that you are not weak doctrinally and immature spiritually. Paul says it in this way. Look at how he says it. He explains that we are to be established in truth so that we're not like gullible children who believe anything anybody tells them. That's why we're to commit to come here, to get ready. That's why we are to use our gifts to get others ready so that we can stand strong in our faith and not crumble at the attacks of the enemy. So you benefit. Notice also Christ benefits. Look at verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Notice the imagery Paul uses here. He refers to Christ as the head. And earlier in this chapter, he said that we as believers are the body, right? We're his body. So Christ is the head. We are his body. And, and Paul says here in verse 15 that as we grow and mature in our faith, we grow up in every way into Christ who is our head. Notice, notice what we learn here. We learn that we, as a body of Christ, we've got some maturing to do, don't we? That's what Paul tells us here. I know I've said this before as well, but it needs to be said again. Though we are referred to as the body of Christ, many right now are not being the body very well. Am I right? And I think we would all agree that all of our churches need to be the body better. And when we, we commit ourselves to grow in godliness, we do just that. When we pour our lives into others and make disciples, we, we grow up in every way into Christ. Paul says, who is our head. In other words, we become a better body for Christ when we do that. So Christ benefits, and lastly, the church benefits. You benefit, Christ benefits, the church benefits. Look at verse 16. Paul says, from whom the whole body joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part 
is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Notice Paul says here, when, when each part is working properly, when everybody is doing their part and they're bringing their gifts to the table, he says the church is built up in love. It becomes what it's supposed to be so that it can in turn do what it is called to do. Our body is is made up of many different parts, isn't it? We have arms, legs, hands, feet, mouth, nose, and so on. You ever noticed if one part is not working properly, it affects the whole rest of the body? You ever notice that? Yeah. Same is true in the church. If we don't have you, believers, bringing your gifts to the table, if we are not firing on all cylinders here at fellowship, we're not being the church God has called us to be. Like I said earlier, this church, it it needs you, believers. It needs you to use your gifts. It needs you to understand that you have been gifted by Christ at great cost, and, and we need you to understand that Christ has given you and others foundational gifts in this church to equip you for the purpose of ministry so that this church will be built up. Let me end with this. Maybe some of you are here this morning and upon hearing this message, you're, you're, you're thinking to yourself this morning, you know, I, I, I want to know how I've been gifted to serve. I want to know how I've been uniquely gifted in this church for the benefit of this church, but I don't know where to begin. Well, let me ask you first and foremost this question. Do you know him personally? Do you know God personally? It starts here, folks. Listen, before you can be gifted by God spiritually, you must first know him personally. And if you do not, I invite you this morning to come to know him through his son, the Lord Jesus. I invite you to make that decision this morning. Scripture is clear that if you would turn from going at life on your own, Turn from your sin, give your life over to Christ, trust in Him and trust in His finished work for your salvation. You can be made right with God right here, right now, and you can be brought into His family and you can receive His Holy Spirit so that you can begin living a life that is pleasing to God in His church. I pray if you've never made that decision, you would not leave here today without making it. Let's pray.